Thanks for joining us for tonight's Women's National League show with FinalWhistle.ie and myself, Alana Canan. Loads coming up for you in the next while. We'll have a home kit ranking from Dennis Hurley of Museum of Jerseys, Kristen Sample of Sly Rovers talking their first Women's National League win, as well as her coaching exploits. And then finally, we'll have a review and preview of the latest games with FinalWhistle.ie reporters Sean Comer and Sam Curtin. So we'll jump into it. So now joining us this evening, as I mentioned, is Dennis Hurley of Museum of Jerseys. And um, you're jumping in right at the deep end here, Dennis, right into the controversy. Well, I, I'm, I, I'll give my opinions anyway. I, I don't know how controversial they, they might be. They, they won't be contrarian for the sake of it. Alana. Brilliant. So first off, a little intro to yourself. Uh, I think where did the, the you're, you're of Museum of Jerseys, as I mentioned, where did the idea come from for that and the football kit podcast too? Um, it it's been a, a long, a long kind of winding journey. Like I've I've been I've been following football since uh, nineteen ninety really, and I've had an interest in kids since the very start. And then, then like when when the internet began to become more popular in the late nineties, I was a teenager and I I came across various websites and there's a one an English one called Historical Football Kits. And it it basically gives the kit histories of all the, the English clubs, and um when as as I kind of began to experiment with with my own illustrations and stuff, very crude things on Microsoft Paint, I started a website called Pride in the Jersey, which is a GEA version of that, but it's mm-hmm. kind of half dormant at the moment. And similarly, CorkCityKits.com, which is the Cork City kit history, and that is dormant as well because basically they were when I use very primitive design methods and I've improved since then um, to using better, higher quality programs. And then it just kind of slowly evolved um, into Museum of Jersey's just kind of blog to write about things that I noticed and observed and just kind of basically a way of getting stuff out of my head and onto the screen. And it's just kind of gone from there. I suppose it's surprising kind of how the following on, on Twitter has, has built up. Um, I'd like to be able to give more time to it, but I have a day job as a, a journalist for the Echo and Cork, so that tends to, to kind of take most of my time. But it, it, it's it's a nice way of unwinding and relaxing at, at the end of the day. Yeah, and over 26,000 followers on Twitter at that. Uh, to say there's yeah. a bit of a it's a bit of a social media following is a bit of a underestimation, I think, on your part. But yeah, you mentioned. <laughs> Um, the few links with Cork, you've links with the League of Ireland too. I will, yeah. Like I, I, um, I, I'm a part owner of of, of Forest um, in, in Cork City, and I've been going to City games since since the very start. My father took me to an FAI Cup game in 1990 against Shamrock Rovers, so there have been ups and downs <laughs> in the three decades since. Um, uh, as tends to be the way with with, with Cork football, but um. Yeah, you know, the the it's it's a kind of cycle of boom and bust, and at the moment it's it's uh, how should we say rebuilding. So, you know, um, hopefully hopefully things will improve now over the next couple of years for for City and um, men and women, um, because I think definitely this season the way the the, the Premier Division first division division split is geographically is it's very kind of jarring. So um, that 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 needs redressing, I think. 
So to start off, we're going to go through the kits alphabetically first and just, as you said, give thoughts and opinions, Dennis. Um, starting with that loan then at that rate, um, without giving too much away, what is it that you uh, like or kind of were thinking about on this one? I, I like the just the kind of the splashes of white on the, the neck and the, the cuffs. I think it just it, it just kind of lifts it a bit. Um, and I know Athlone haven't always had that, but I think blue and black on their own can, can look very good, but it can look a bit drab as well if it, if it's done if it's done wrong. Like you only have to look at into Milan's kits um, over the last decade and a half to see some of the shockers Nike have given them. So I just I just like the simplicity of it just and then with the, the splash of white just to kinda add something to it. Yeah, definitely. And then on to I suppose Bohemians in at the B and the infamous black and red. Um what 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 did you think about this one? Like I, I don't I don't mind it in terms of the the way they've gone. Like the idea it's a good idea. Like Quite the design is kind of copying the one Belgium had at, <clears throat> at the the last World Cup with the kind of the the argyle pattern, but the, the back of it is totally red in, which makes it kind of a bit unbalanced. Um, but at the same time, you know, it is it, it it's a brave decision to go away from the stripes. Um, like when when it was launched, I, I saw like a Boas fan on Twitter said, "Oh, why are we going away from the stripes?" And another Boas fan said. We've had stripes for about forty years out of a hundred and whatever. Like it's just because they've had it so much recently. People think it's the only way to go with bows, but yeah. if you look through their history, they've had lots of different styles. So a good idea, but maybe not executed as well as it could have been. And of course, as well, they have um, the infamous awake now, the Marley one. But um, we'll maybe talk about that another day. On yeah. To- your own um, Cork City in there at the C and number three. Um, I suppose in terms of um, in terms of full disclosure, I helped play a small part in the design of this, so I'm obviously going to be biased towards it. Um, it's uh, it's nice, uh, definitely. Um, and City fans the last few years have been kind of wanting to make sure that the three club colours, green, white, and red, have yeah. been included in it. Uh, and this this does that. Um, it, it's 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 a plain, simple, inoffensive design, um, and it, it's nicely nicely balanced in terms of the three colours. And I suppose it kind of follows a trend in that there as well. The stripes at the top of the sleeve seems to be kind of very in in fashion, as they say at the minute. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it, it, it's the way it is. Um, I've done with nearly all the kits at the moment, so it's. It's almost a little bit too ubiquitous, but it's it's definitely um a smart way of, of, of presenting. Mm. Um DR Waves kit then they've went for a bit of a wave in the name at the back. What did what did you think of that one? I I I don't dislike it. I really like the shade of blue, but I think the kind of the highlighter yellow then is trim. I I wouldn't be a fan of it. I think <coughs> I think that shade of blue, either a white or a darker blue. Would be the best to uh, to accompany it. Hmm. And then on to Galway United. Then out there in the west, and um, where do your opinions lie on this one? I I like it. Um, I like it because the obviously it's um you know it it it's 
good strong maroon color um and i like then the the kind of the way it fades from that into the black and the black shorts um i'd probably be docking a couple of marks for the the, the sponsor maybe um it just it's it's a bit a bit too kind of in your face um but but overall it's 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 very well done and then next up, P-Maj United, the classic green. Yeah, again, I, I like that. I suppose I'd be like the Galway one. I, I'm kind of, I'd be positively um, disposed towards the ones that aren't, you know, linked to a men's team, you know, and that it would just be a copy of, of the men's ones. Um, maybe you could have a bit more black on the shirt just to tie in with the shorts and socks. Um, otherwise, though, it, it's it's hard to fault it in terms of of just uh, you know not doing anything outlandish, but you know, kind of not doing anything stupid either. Yeah, sticking sticking to what they know best. Then yeah, we, um, Shelburne reigning champions in women's national league, but yet to be seen where they stand in your rankings. Um. I, I wouldn't be a massive fan of the the shells one. Um, it, it's I don't know what it is. Uh, like and, and shells have had some very good umbro hits over the last couple of years. Um, but it's just there's a bit too much going on with this one. I think. Uh, it's like it's like there was a few different ideas thrown around at the design meeting, and rather than agreeing on one, they decided to go with all of them. As a as a culmination of all 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 outputs of ideas, then we have new to league, fresh in people's minds in the women's national league, but the same as the men's kid, as you mentioned, Sligo. Sligo, yeah, like you know, I suppose in in the one sense, you might be looking at Sligo and shells and going, you know, there's not a lot different here, but I suppose it just goes to show how two kits that look kind of similar. You know in terms of broad strokes can can kind of be be quite different um i i like the 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 simplicity of the pinstripes and then just the 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 subtle use of the white with the neck and the, the side panels it um they, they add to it without overpowering it and getting towards the end of the alphabetical list then treaty united's kit I like the treaty ones by and large. It, like looking at it there, you kind of get the sense of an Atletico Madrid kit because they've they've kind of done different things with their stripes over the years. But kind of like the P mount one, you have a bit of a disconnect going on between the shirt and the shorts. Um, a little bit more blue on the the jersey would would just kind of give it a a more um, integrated look. And finally, then we've Wexford Utes with the notorious black jersey. What's your thoughts on its um, peaks or downfalls? Black, black is always a good starting point, and like they have the, the special pink then as well to to, to just um, give it a, a pop of color, as they say. Uh, a little bit too much going on up up the shoulders. Um, that's kind of the manufacturer and um, the German company Yako. They kind of they have this little motif on nearly all the jerseys with those dots and that ended the stripe it just kind of 
is a bit too much going on in that area when the rest of the shirt is, is fairly plain. And then down to the business end of it all now, Dennis, it's interesting those um, insights you gave as to the manufacturers and the reasons behind the kits, but who comes in at number 10 for you and why is that? Um, I, I have, I'd have shadows at number 10. Um, like, like I said, there's just a bit too much going on, too many shades of red, too many different design flourishes. It's, um, it's just a bit of a mishmash. And at number nine? Number nine, uh, I have I have DLR. Just, I, I'm not a fan of the fluorescent fluorescent colours on the kit. And I think, I think that, and just the sponsor doesn't blend in um, as well as it could then either. It's interesting the dynamics that play into it. But at number eight? Number eight, Treaty. Um, just for the 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 kind of the, the split nature of the, the kit, the blue not going with a, a lot on the jersey. And at in at number seven. Number seven, bows again. Like I said, um, good idea, but just could have been could have been worked out a bit better. Now we're getting to the top half of the table, as they would say. In at number six. Six, Cork City. And I'm probably judging it a bit too harshly because I was involved in it, like I said. It's the fact that the, the stripes on the jersey don't match up with the stripes in the shorts. They're the opposite way around. Um, and like that's the limitations of a team ordering kit from a big supplier. Um, that you know, you're, you're limited to the size of shorts. That and then the, the socks. Um, because they don't have rage to tie him to the rest of the kit. And again, um, judging it very harshly, but probably the, the fact that the sponsor as well, um, like, and I, I would be a fan of Jackie Dennis's chip shop. I just don't think it's a great sponsor for a, a sports team, but maybe that's being, being a bit too, um, too health, health freaky. Yeah, it's fascinating how um, the correlation um, lies very much so in the in the thought process of it, the colours and the sponsors. But in at number five, number five, Wexford. Um, you know, a strong base to work from with the black um, would be higher than if if the design had just been a bit a bit stronger. And then working on from that, we have number four. Number four is uh, Sligo. Um, a good, good solid design. Uh, can't really fault it. Um, and maybe, maybe the fact that the pinstripe stop for the sponsor, I think, just kind of takes a bit away from it. And then into the illustrious top three, it's well known in the Women's National League as the one everyone wants to break into. But what are they for you, home jersey wise? Uh, three, uh, I have Piemont. Um, the green, green, white, and black are a good, um, good color mix. Um, and like there is a bit of black on the, the jersey to start to fade into the shorts. Just could be could be a bit better integrated, like in terms of having green and white trim on the shorts and socks and a bit more black in the jersey. 
but it, it's it, it's fairly well done overall. And then at number two? Two, Galway. Um, and I, I might even have had them top, but like I said, the sponsor takes away from it. Um, just the, the red and white of the Plaza group just jars with the with the maroon and black because otherwise it, it it's it's a very nice um a very nice design uh, and good good colours. And finally, the only one remaining, but your top home kit in the Women's National League for twenty twenty two. Uh, at Lone Town, um, just good, good, good colours, um, well executed. Hasn't tried to be too ambitious, but I think it, um, it's all the better for that. Brilliant. Well, that's the ten teams gone through on their jerseys for the 2022 Women's National League season. As I mentioned, reigning champions Shelburne United coming in there at the bottom with at Lone Town at the top, followed by Galway, Piedmont, Sligo, Wexford. Cork City, Bowes, Treaty, DLR, and then Chels, as I mentioned. We'll have to see where everyone else ends up footballing-wise, but for now, be sure and give us your thoughts and opinions in on that and uh, what your own rankings will be if you're watching along. Um, but for now, though, thanks a million for coming on, Dennis, and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thanks a lot, Alana. Now we're joined by Kristen Semple of Sligo Rovers, who has joined, who of course enjoyed their first Women's National League win there at the weekend. Thanks for joining us today, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Now, as we were mentioning there, slightly off air at the minute, it's very careful. It's Kristen, not Kirsten. We'll set the record straight now. Yeah, that's the one, Kristen. K R I, not K I R. <laughs> Seems to be a few people getting mixed up on on that on these uh, early stages. But anyways, then into the action. First Women's National League win for Sligo at the weekend, as I mentioned. How much did that mean to you guys, and can you describe the feeling? Uh, it was epic. I mean, obviously, there's a couple of the girls that have played in the National League before, so probably had had some success previously. Hansa, of course, won won the uh, the cup a couple of years back, so um, it's it's exciting for us to get that winning feeling back. It's also a testament to the work that we've been doing on the pitch, to everything that we've been doing in preseason. I mean, not everybody gets to see what's happened behind the well, from preseason behind doors and all that. But when I came in and at the end of January and just seeing how much the team has changed in that time to have mm -hmm. our victory, like it's just such an endorsement for all the work that the coaches are doing, that all of our staff is doing, um, the support that the club gives us. So it's, it's really amazing feeling for the players, for the club, for everybody involved here. And like, you know, everyone coming into the this season, you know, saw Sligo as the new team and we're kind of thinking, geez, like you don't know where they're going to end up. Were you looking to prove a few naysayers wrong? Ah, uh, definitely. I mean, look, I don't think anybody goes onto the pitch and says, well, I guess we'll take a beating today. Like, <laughs> yeah. so we certainly didn't want to finish 10th. Even when they asked me if I'd play, I, I didn't think that we'd finish 10th. I, I knew mm. the quality of the coaching staff that we had, the quality of the players that we were signing. I was like, I don't think we're going to be finishing said last i don't know where we'll finish but mm. we're just taking it game by game and and we can even if it's an individual battle like a lot of us probably would have been happy enough to just have our first goal then to, to get a goal as well and and to get the win is like look at all these things that are happening next up is the clean sheet hopefully 
And like, obviously, as you say, it was building as well, because you could even see in the bit of the DLR performance, you know, okay, the results didn't go your way on the day, but it was even an improvement on the week before. Is that kind of the mantra at the minute, just keep improving week on week? And as you said, even from January, there's been such a gulf of a difference, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And and the players are, are really buying in as well. Like there's just so much work that everyone's wanting to do on their own and then in with the team as well. Like it's mad to think we'd have girls traveling two hours to get to training and they do it without any hassle because we all believe in, in what this project can look like and, and what our season should look like. And playing against your old club too with the weekend must have been a bit of a weird experience. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> So it's a bit of a mad one because, like, obviously, I'd have wanted to, like, say hello to everyone after the end of the game. And my dad even messaged me after and he was like, were you only friends with two of the girls? You only spoke with two of them. I'm like, dad, think of how I felt the week before. Like, no, they don't want to talk to me. Like, So, um, yeah, it was, it's nice to get the win there, especially because Cork is such a well-organized squad in, in how they play. And they enjoy so much of the ball and so much possession. But it was it's great for us to catch them on the break, really. And you'd, you'd know them so well as well. I believe you were a player and a coach there. Is it like kind of interesting seeing it from the opposite side of things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was the reserve goalkeeper there. Abby's an excellent goalkeeper. So it's like going into the match, I would have said it, it wouldn't have been a whole lot different from what I'd have been looking at last year because I'd be mm. looking at what their strength, like what court strengths and weaknesses were and how we might get exploited. Um, so it's... I wouldn't have said it was too much different, but tell you what, it was really nice to get the full 90 at Turner's Cross. That is a lovely stadium and a lovely pitch to be playing on. So, And a, a nice experience that way. Yeah. And um, yeah, as we mentioned there off air as well, you're doing a bit of coaching and as well as the playing at um, Sly Rovers. Is it a different task kind of with this new side or is it any different, do you think? Yeah, it's much different because now I'm more with the academy players. Um, it's a lot. It's more like what I was doing in the States where I was doing a lot of academy goalkeeper coaching there. Mm. Uh, it is a lot. We have a lot of great resources. Like, it's unbelievable what we have at the showgrounds for for just one academy. Like, I wouldn't have had that at one of what I consider one of the best academies in the U.S. So, sure. um, different to work on so many things with so many resources and um, yes, it's really, really nice to, do, to have all that available. That's definitely high praise anyways. You're a highly skilled coach, so yourself, you have the UEFA A goalkeeping license, and I believe you're going for the A license outfield soon. Yeah, that's that's true. So. What's, what's that like kind of happened to, like, is that something you're pursuing in the future, do you think? Is management something you are coaching, definitely something you want to go into? Yeah, um, I mean, I... I actually went straight into coaching for about 10 years and, and didn't play until honestly, until Cork took a chance on me. So again, eternally grateful to Cork for everything that, that they provided for me because ultimately opened up this door. I'm very happy being here in Sligo. Long may it continue. Um, but coaching is definitely what I've wanted to do for a while. Um, yeah. it's, but it's, it is great when you're you're playing and you're playing well. Like there's no feeling like being on the pitch yourself. I guess the next best thing would be coaching. So, and I saw in an interview you gave, I think you mentioned 
obviously earlier there the support the club has given you guys but I saw as well that you know you're obviously bringing that women's national league experience and like you've thrown a few ideas like rowers way and they've been kind of receptive to those and like does a women's national league team maybe need different aspects focused on or was that just kind of in regards to what you learned at Cork and what you were trying to bring to Sligo? Yeah, I think it was more based on like what I had learned at Cork and even if it was just looking at how other teams operated and and what we could expect going to other clubs. Mm. Uh, just because I don't think any of our staff had been involved in the Women's National League before. So they were all skilled to different degrees in management um, mm. and in their knowledge of the game. But in terms of being involved with the Women's National League, that might have been something new for them so just giving them ideas on on what had worked well for us and then i've tried to to kind of implement a few things as well like doing a lot with the film analysis so um mm -hmm. i don't think we knew that we had well we definitely didn't know that we had huddle at first until the dlr manager was like well all the teams have it we were like wait really <laughs> so so it's nice that that everyone kind of knows each other as well and, and they're all helping us get acclimated into the league yeah, I find that really interesting, actually, because I feel like it's a side a lot of the um, fan base maybe don't actually realise, you know, like it's down to that level now, you know, like it is that intense and teams really are going out to do everything they can, you know, every week. And it's a lot of commitment, too. Yeah, oh, it definitely is. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. I normally spend my Sunday night doing a lot of the film analysis so we can prepare for the week ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it's mad, like, because, I, as I say, I don't think that's a slide a lot of people would actually um, understand that is actually going into this, but it's a massive commitment and a credit to everyone involved in the Women's National League, and I think it's definitely um, attributing to its rise in quality and um, exposure. But, yeah, as I mentioned, you bring a lot of experience to the side. You've played with um, Durham and Cork and Rooney. Do you feel like, why did you feel like then, after all of that, Sligo was the right move for you? Um, because Sligo did kind of meet what I was looking for in the coaching side. Um, it's, I'd say since I left the States, which was like right after COVID started, um, I haven't, I haven't been able to coach elite youth goalkeepers. And mm. that's what I was really getting when I came into Sligo. And I, I would have more goalkeepers that I'd be able to coach more goalkeepers. I'd be able to influence. Um, so it meant a lot for me to be here. Um, also I've, my family heritage line would have been around Mayo. So it's always been to me that I'd want to come back to the West coast of Ireland. It's one of my favorite places in the world. So I'm like, this is, this is spot on for me. It just met so many things. I even brought my dog here in October and we hiked up Ben Bulbin, went swimming in Ross's point. So she loves it. I love it. I'm like, this is home. We're just going to set up camp here for a while now. <laughs> it's looking good so far. So yeah, exactly. Long may it continue. <laughs> but uh yeah originally from baltimore in the u.s how do you think you mentioned there kind of the differences about sligo the beaches and the hikes or that kind of thing how do the two football and setups compare i know you kind of alluded to a bit earlier that maybe sligo's academy has come on leaps and bounds but maybe that as well it was different to the u.s kind of setups yeah definitely different um i'd say like, I think we have more resources here. I think Sligo as a club does an excellent job of, of trying to provide as many resources to all the players as possible. Um, just the different tools that we have available at our training grounds are outstanding. Um, where we wouldn't really have all that 
at my club in the States. Mm. Um, I love that my club in the States, but we also had more facilities as well. So like, for example, the showgrounds have the one um, 3G or 4G pitch at my club in Baltimore. We have five, five turf pitches and two Bermuda grass pitches and then like two really crappy grass pitches. So um, yeah, we'd we'd be on the pitch like three or four times a week. Um, And then we have to, we probably travel about the same amount, but we're playing against a lot of really quality players, which is the same here, but I guess because we have such a high population in America, you're probably going to be playing against like crazy Mm -hmm. kids. So. Yeah, it's interesting how the two kind of compare and the diversity, but also the bit of similarities, I guess. You mentioned there the pitch at the showgrounds. You're back again there this weekend. Um, last time out, there was a big crowd. Now, just off the record, I think it was 70 supporters or something off the record, but good to know, I guess, that the locality is getting behind the team. Yeah, and even just, like, following it on, on Twitter after, like, you have a lot of fans on the men's side who are supporting the women's side as well, and I think there is a big buzz in the community for the women's team. Like mm. even just people that I've met around town who aren't football people, they're like, Oh yeah, we're all about Sligo Rovers women. I'm like, great, come to the game. So um, yeah, I, I think we're going to get some pretty steady crowds going forward, uh, especially if we get some good results at home as well. Yeah. And then that's on to the next question. Then you're, you're trying to accumulate a few results um, and carry that bit of form from the Cork City game along now. Um, you know, you've bowls this weekend. How do you think that one will go? Like, you know, it's a bit of a test, I suppose, because maybe they're considered like a mid-table side. So it's a bit of a test in the waters to see where you guys are going to lie. Yeah, those are a really well-organized team. They're a good physical team as well. So it is going to be a really good test. They have a couple, like, I guess I'd call them like tricks up their sleeve and how they play mm-hmm. compared to other teams. So um, it is going to be a good test, but it's also a manageable test. So I don't know how it's going to go, um, but I know that we're all going to put on the same Rovers kit and hope that we represent the club as well as possible and, you know, maybe get some more goals for our quest for the season and hopefully get the first clean sheet. But we'll see what happens on the day. So hopefully it goes our way. It's all about um, completing those measurable goals, I guess, week on week and then see where it goes come the end of the season. Well, that's uh, brilliant, Kristen. I'm looking forward to it anyways, as I'm sure a lot of other Women's National League fans are. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So now we look to a roundup of the games over last weekend and what's to come this weekend. But first, we'll turn to P's Treaty, where P Mount ran out 5 1 winners. It was a dominant performance from um, the P Mount United side, uh, managed, of course, by James O'Callaghan. Our reporter, Paul Regan, caught up with him after that game. Now I'm here with P Mount United's manager, James O'Callaghan, after their comprehensive 5 1 victory today. James, what are your thoughts after the game? Yeah, really good game. Um, you know, we really get the three points at the top. We played really well, um, especially in the first half. Our attacking play, combination play, and that was, was, was good. Defensively, we were solid. Um, you know, second half, though, in fairness to Treaty, they kind of came back at us. Um, it was one all in the second half. So, you know, it was, they made it a lot harder for us. Um, but overall, um, delighted to get the three points. Looking at that second half, are there learning lessons for your squad and for your team going forward? 
for next week? It's important to keep playing the, the, the way we had been in the first half. You know, don't drop the intensity. We probably dropped it a little bit. Um, you know, you have to keep pushing and keep working hard. Um, but in fairness to Treaty, you know, they never dropped their heads um, and they kept pushing. You know, we, obviously we made some substitutions as well, which probably didn't help the situation. Okay. Three wins out of three um, and uh, fairly comprehensive wins in, in all games. Are you happy enough with the start so far this season? Yeah, really, really happy. Um, to get three wins, nine points. Um, you know, and last week's game was very was, was really good as well. Um, you know, so we're delighted with how the girls are playing. You know, we're we're, we're truly just trying to do our best, take one, one game at a time. We're trying to introduce some young players as well. I think Tara Allen got made her debut um, today, starting starting debut. Um, she goes away with the Irish in the seven innings tomorrow as well. Tosh to played really well. Um, so overall, you know, we're really really pleased. And uh, next week you face DLR. Um, away, so how do you think you will prepare for that game? We'll prepare it as, as we always prepare any team. Um, you know, DLR, really good side, um, one of the best squads in the country. You know, so um, it's going to be a tough, tough game, um, but we're looking forward to it. Okay, thanks for your time, James. Well Thank done you. tonight. Thank you. Okay. Thanks to um, Paul and James again for that one. As he said, the combination play worked well for them, but they just need to keep up the intensity and bring in those new kind of younger players is really kind of adding to their squad, uh, of which there's quality and talent all over the place with um, Stephanie Roach, Anya Gorman, um, Jenna Beryl getting a brace too, and Saib Doyle making off the difference with Emma Coslow getting the consolation. But yeah, really their dominance just ran out on that night. 5-1 treaty, the final score. Moving on then to Athlone versus Shells. Sean Comer, you were covering this one. 2-0 two, two to Shells, the final score. A fair result? Uh, yeah. yeah. They, um, Shelburne didn't hammer Athlone, I think. They weren't peppering them with chances or anything. And for the first few minutes of both halves, um, there wasn't a lot to talk about, but eventually as it went on, you could see Shells were the side with the more quality. They kind of wore Athlone down in both halves. Um, they kind of sent a firing shot five minutes before they scored in the first half. Jessica Stapleton missed a good chance, but then a few minutes later, Noel Murray got the tap in. And then the second half, they were testing Athlone's goal from time to time. No, Not a lot of clear-cut chances, but as soon as they got one, um, it was bought in by Kiva Keenan. So, yeah, it was a very fair result. I don't think Athlone played bad, but it was a case where just the better team simply um, grinded out the result. And great, of course, to have Kiva Keenan back from an injury. Um, brilliant to see her come back with such a flying form start. But, yeah, as you mentioned, stagnant enough um, kind of at periods in both halves. Maybe that's something both sides need to work on going forward, John. Uh, potentially. I mean, maybe some of it with Shells was the fact that they hadn't played in two weeks because their fixture against Wexford was suspended. So, I don't know, maybe they're a little bit rusty. If so, it wasn't the worst thing in the world because they eventually came into it. At loan, I suppose, maybe it's been that way for them. It, they did start off kind of slow against Bohemians um, a few weeks ago. Against Wexford, they were good out of the blocks, but kind of similar to the Shells game, Wexford eventually just overcame them through talent. So, yeah, I suppose maybe if there's anything for Atlone to work on, it might be trying to get an early goal and a half. And who, who impressed you for Atlone, Sean? Because I know you mentioned Marion Staple in there and Keenan, and I know Paris Salary was in good form too. But who impressed you from Atlone maybe at the weekend and so far this season? I think um, so for the first two weeks of the season, kind of the talk about Atlone has been a lot of their attackers. Dennis Sheriff, Emily Corbett, Gillian Keenan, Roshi Malloy all look good. 
I thought actually Chloe Mustaki, the left back for Shells, dealt with Malloy very well. On Saturday, I think there was one incident early on where Malloy really skinned by her, but as it went on, Mustaki started to get the better of that, and Malloy didn't get as much joy, I suppose. The two at-loan players for me were more defensive players that impressed. I think Laurie Ryan had a good game in midfield, and I think mm. Jessica Hennessy looks good at centre-back so far. So if I had to, I suppose if I had to pick two, it would be those two. Just to name a few, but um, on from that then, um, Jess Sue is, of course, leaving Shelburne um, in the summer to go to West Ham. She's such a talent and has showcased it a lot throughout the years. But did you think that was kind of noticeable there at the weekend? Was she playing with a bit of a weight off her shoulders? Uh, yeah, 100%. I think she was getting a lot of joy down the right-hand side. I think most of the chances for Shells were coming through her. She assisted the first goal. She had a part to play in the second and she was, I think, if I had to pick a player of the match, it probably would have been her. She was just, she just stood out, I think. It, and it's hard to stand out in that Shells team, but I think she really did. And from one bright star down from another, thanks, John, we move on to Bowes-Wexford. That took place at Daily Mount. It was 3-0 Wexford, the final score. And I think, you no know, more than James was mentioning earlier, they had quite a few debuts or certain debuts, and Cleaner Donnelly, Becky Watkins, and Grace with Patrick Ryan. So, Ella Malloy there was brilliant for them too, getting that long-range strike, which we're so often see her do now in the Women's National League. And um, outstanding, and she's just so young too, so there's a lot more to come there. Obviously, Kira Rossiter will be my player of the match in that one, getting the goal directly off a corner the second time someone's done that in as many weeks in the Women's National League. And then she went on to assist Kylie Murphy for their third and Wexford's final of the day. But um, moving on then, we bring in Sam. He was watching uh, Cork City Sly Rovers. A slow start to that one, I think, uh, Sam, but one for the history books nonetheless. Definitely, yeah, uh, Alana, definitely, definitely um, a history making this uh, evening for Sly Rovers. They picked up their first ever three points uh, in Women's National League history in just their second game as well, ever. And they went down to Turners Cross and beat Cork City 2 1 away from a great result for Steve Feeney's side and a very impressive performance. The Cork really dominated possession for, for the most part, to be honest, which and it, it probably just their lack of a real out-and-out goal scorer. Uh, City probably lacking a number nine, really, um, at the moment. And that was evident in this game because, honestly, they probably should have had the ball in the net on four minutes. There was a bit of a goal-mouth scramble at the shed end and somehow the ball stayed out. And it really they kind of dominated the rest of the half. Although, having uh, said that, honourable mention has to go to Kirsten Sandbell. Uh, she was fantastic in this Lego goal, playing against her former club, of course, as well. And she was brilliant, made a number of fantastic saves. First of all, from Sean McCarthy on 13 minutes. Uh, Eva Cronin uh, fed her and so, she ran through on goal and somehow Sample got her, her fists on it. And... Yeah, nil-nil at the break then, but it all changed really in the second half because then, as Sligo, they took the lead, really a goal out of nothing really, to be honest with you, because on 62 minutes, Gemma McGuinness had more or less a pot shot, to be honest, from about just outside the 18-yard box, hit off goalkeeper Abby McCarthy, uh, then off the post and rolled into the back of the net, and that really was a, a bit of a sucker punch really for the hosts, and you could see that their confidence kind of just went down. The body language language wasn't great for a few minutes and Sligo took advantage of that because it got even better for them just a couple of minutes later. This time, Emma Doherty coming on as a sub and she put them 2-0 ahead. Uh, a, a, a real out-and-out counter-attacking goal. 
And um, yeah, she, she got in behind the, the courtesy defence and got that second goal. And that really was probably the killer blow. Although City, to be fair to them, got back into it just a few minutes later on. 73 minutes substitute, Nadine Seward took advantage of some poor Sligo uh, defending. Uh, a real poacher's goal to get them back in it. But uh, try as they might, they huffed and puffed till the end. But Sligo held out for a very, very famous victory. And uh, in just their second game, yeah, a fantastic result for them. And uh, you talk about the body language there of City after the first Sligo goal went in. What was the body language of Sligo? I'm sure it meant it meant a lot to them. I'd say you could see it. Well, look, Alana, I'm not sure if you saw the the Italy Wales rugby game at the weekend, but it was very much similar to that. And and look, in fairness, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Really, you know, uh, it's a fantastic advertisement for the league. And we've had kind of a history of this uh, happening before. I think I mentioned to you off air before we've had the likes of Sporting Fingal and. Treaty United last season, okay, but it's been more on the men's side. But uh, coming into the league and doing something, um, uh, or exceeding expectations, I suppose, and uh, that's something that could happen with, with Psycho this season. Really well coached, and I was very impressed with how they adapted during the game as well. Mm. And I suppose to come back to your question, yeah, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic scenes uh, down in Cork, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more scenes like them. To be honest with you, throughout the season, because they're going to be very, very competitive and uh, a great crowd down from Sligo as well uh, for the game. Uh, lots of red and white uh, around the Turner's Cross, and uh, you know, of course, as, as you know yourself, Alana, being a proud Sligo native, Sligo is a great <laughs> footballing town. And uh, 949, I believe, at the sports or at the showgrounds for the opening home game as well. So it just shows you there's a great appetite for, for women's football in Sligo. And I think we'll see that in games to come. Yeah, and we'll touch on touch on that again now in a minute. Thanks for that, John. We'll, or Sam, we'll come back to you now in a second. Galway, DLR 1-1 was another result on Saturday. Of course, that was a massive one for both teams to kind of see their stakehold in the league where they kind of end up and you know, both of them are trying to push into that top three. So this was a big um, kind of decision game to see where they would lie in that one. Sarah McEvitt was on target again, once again, for the opener. And she's just been in raging form recently since the start of the league. She's uh, got racking up the assists as well and hit the goals too for DLR since she moved from Cork City, of course, a temporary woman though. But yeah, she's been excelling in all aspects for them. Then for Galway's goal, Julianne Russell was the start of it. As we know, she's just so significant for Galway and was again at the weekend herself. And Lindsay McKee worked well in tandem to um, pass it off to Aoife Thompson to notch on the score sheet. So yeah, a share of the spoils for both outfits. Now, probably not the result either would have wanted. But um, really, if they were to go and challenge for um, higher up the table, you would think that one of them should be coming out on top there. But yeah, as I said, a share of the spoils for both of them nonetheless. And yeah, now before we look into the games to come in Series 4, we'll just have a quick look at the table now if we can, just to see the standings. So obviously, yeah, P-Mount there at the top, followed closely by DLR Waves. Um, P-Mount with nine points, DLR on seven. Wexford Utes and Shelburne both on six, but obviously both have a game in hand since their game was cancelled um, a while back at Ferry Carrick. Then you have Galway on four, Sligo on three after their first Women's National League win at the weekend. Athlone on a point, uh, followed by Bowes. And then we have Cork City and Tree United yet to pick up a win this season. Um, to touch on that then, to preview this weekend's games, we have Wexford Treaty is one of the ones coming up. We have Wexford playing at home for the first time this year. That's in Ferry Carrick as their fixture against Shells, as I mentioned, was postponed there a few weeks ago. 
Um, that clash against the Reds has been, in fact, rescheduled, though. That's for the 26th of April now at quarter to eight. Wexford will be looking to build on their good start so far. The two wins, while Treaty will be aspiring for their first victory of the season against some tough opposition, though, no doubt. So we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out. As Sam mentioned there, Sligo Rovers are back in action this weekend. They have their second match at the showgrounds and a big one to showcase. Can they carry on that form they've um, showcased so far? They um, really, you know, set themselves apart there at the weekend. Maybe a bit of an um, outstanding result, I suppose, given the situation. You know, a new team in the league, but um, they're really showing signs of progress and um, maybe they'll cause an upset there at the weekend. I think if they can get Emma Hansbury back to full fitness and firing at all cylinders, that'll really help things because she's just such a influence there in the pitch. And of course, Gemma McGuinness and Doherty will be looking to get back on the score sheet and maybe try for a clean sheet in front of the home fans too. So then we'll turn to Shells versus Cork. Sam, how do you assess this one playing out? Yeah, well, look, I guess um, the season that uh, that has been so far, it's been kind of a tale of two different uh, perspectives and, and both teams uh, find themselves on different uh, ends of the table. Shells unbeaten after their two games so far, no goals conceded, uh, very, very solid. And uh, Cork, as we've mentioned, it, you know, probably so close, but yet so far, um, they lost as well the first game at home against Galway 3-0. Again, they were unlucky in times, but they improved greatly, definitely against Sligo. Probably a shame for them that they didn't get that game against Treaty United either. That game got called off. It's been rescheduled since. They probably would have liked the, that game, you know, the week after to get a bounce uh, going into this one, especially because it's going to be a huge, huge task going up to Tolka Park. Shelburne flowing, mm-hmm. as you've mentioned, a couple of their big names there. They still have the likes of Jessica Zhu. And also, Saoirse Noonan will be playing against her former club, it looks like, as well, on loan from Durham. And uh, how we'd love to have her uh, back at Cork uh, this season, but not to be, unfortunately. But, um, you know, they've got so much strength and depth then throughout the park. It's going to be very, very difficult. So you would say on paper, it, it should be, uh, you know, a comfortable enough night for, for Shelburne. But having said that, I, I saw enough from Cork at the weekend. Um, to suggest that they can be very competitive going into this one because they've got a lot of pace. Uh, you know, they've got the likes of Shauna McCarthy there, Avian Donnelly as well, and Eva Cronin. Mm. Uh, they've also got Eva Mangan back uh, from Irish under 19 international duty as well. So there's plenty of pace. So I, I, I would imagine the Corp will look to try and hit shells on the counter attack. They won't have a huge amount of the ball, but uh, it's, it's definitely going to be a, a very interesting game. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, a good one as well. And uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Shelburne looking, I suppose, to really uh, kick on from last season as well, of course, where they won the league. And they, you know, they've got a real settled team, despite the fact they do have a couple of players that will be going, uh, as you already mentioned, during the summer. But uh, Noel King got very, uh, probably a full deck to choose from, uh, more or less, as well, going into it. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um, they'll certainly be looking to build on their form, as you said, and um, even try and make strides towards last year's success but um yeah moving on then we've p-mount dlr eva mangan as you mentioned of course sam as well was on last week with us uh, discussing those under 19 escapades so if you're watching at home be sure and check that one out but p-mount dlr a big one this one uh, last time out dlr held p-mount to a draw and it had a big impact on the overall standings of the season um, it was the second last game of the season there, if you remember. And if DLR are to be higher up the table this year and they want a challenge, it's a big one to um, kind of test those waters this weekend. So, and as well, like Pease will be looking to assert their dominance in the league um, and maintain that 
combination play and intensity that James had mentioned earlier. So it would be a real statement for either side um, to come out on top on this one, but we'll just have to wait and see how that one goes. Now, finally, Athlone versus Galway. We have Sean Comer joining us once again. Athlone playing Galway this weekend, Sean. How do you think that one will play out? Uh, I expect it to be tied based on how each team season has gone so far. Um, Galway, of course, started with a pretty good win over Cork, 3-0 to start the season, uh, followed up a, a poor result at home to P-Mount and then ultimately a draw at home to DLR Ways in which it was described as neither team was really able to come out on top and the draw was a fair result. Neither team being able to really assert dominance in a game, I suppose, kind of sounds similar to a few at-loan games. Um, so, and I think at the end of the season, these two teams could be around the same position in the league. Um, so mm. I expect it to be very tight, but I think I might give Atlone the edge because they're at home and I feel that first win's coming. I think they've been playing well. Um, and they had a tough three games, I think, to start the season. I think this is a game to win. This is kind of a get-right game. So, yeah, I think Atlone might just edge this one. Yeah, they, they've been really trying to establish a bit of a fortress there as well at home. Um, now, obviously, as you said, it'll be a tough game for both sides. And uh, Galway haven't suffered that Savannah McCarthy injury. Hopefully, she'll be back. It wasn't too serious, um, but we're just not sure on that one yet. But um, thanks for joining us, Sean. No worries. Thanks for having me. So we'll uh, move on then to finish up. We'll have to do it all over again next week. A big thank you to all of our guests tonight, Dennis of Museum of Jerseys, Kristen of Sligo Rovers, and finally Sam and Sean of FinalWhistle.e. Thanks to Colleen too on production and yourself for watching. For now, I've been Alana Canan. This has been FinalWhistle.e's Women's National League show. Good night. <laughs>